If you see something, say something. At Reply, weird things come with any weird story you find on the web, and you can help make weirdthings.com even weirder. Mike Ray, former cop and body double for a world-famous action star, was ready to put show business behind him when he was asked to do one last favor for Hollywood's hottest new actress. All he had to do was find her the necklace from a forgotten film and not get killed in the process. From the insane house parties of Malibu and the reclusive mansions of Beverly Hills to the scorching California desert, Mike finds himself in a scandal involving one of the world's most eccentric billionaires, the Nevada Mafia, and a sadistic Estonian porn kingpin. To find the necklace, he'll have to blow the lid off a secret buried in the California desert that stretches back to ancient Egypt with an irresistible client who won't take no for an answer. The job doesn't get him killed. She just might. Hollywood Pharaohs by Andrew Maine has been described as a fast-paced love child of the Big Lebowski and Indiana Jones. Find out why readers have made this book one of the best reviewed in all of Amazon. It's Hollywood Pharaohs by Andrew Maine, available for only $2.99 on the Amazon Kindle store. Bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Three, two, one, go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Weird Things, the podcast. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Mr. Justin Robert Young. I'm back and better than ever. And Mr. Brian Brushwood. He's all recharged. He's more machine now than man. Twisted and loud. Mm, and with a disappointing new body armor that's going to make us feel let down when the movie comes out. That's right. <laughs> Gentlemen, um, I've got a ton of weird for you here, and I thought we'd try a new segment. A uh, new segment? Really? What? Yeah, yes. I'll tell you what. You know, yeah, it's very, you know, you don't want to deaver from the norm. You know, it's like if you were to do a podcast where you only had two of the hosts, and no matter yeah. how popular and well-received it was, you really just want to steer away from... from yeah, because if you uh, got, like, a lot like of really positive feedback about how great yeah. that was. Yeah, well, no matter all that. No matter how those other two hosts felt, like, for once they were able to soar like eagles in the yeah. intellectual freedom of the sure. sky, they were able to explore exactly. ideas they never get dragged down into. All that, ignore it. You want to <laughs> bury that in a deep, dark part of your soul. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Because remember all the really great scientific achievements that came from more than one person, like DNA, Francis and Crick, and oh yeah, it was two guys. <laughs> yeah. Remember That's, the first three guys actually, to walk on the was, moon uh, on the same mission? Oh no, two guys walked on the moon. The other guy, like, it was well, a little known fact though. With with Fran- it was Francis Crick and, and Lewis, and then Jerry Lewis was actually a very big uh, part of that. Where he would just he scream, was, like DNA. I don't know. Maybe with the healing say. <laughs> Amazing. So uh, here's the segment. It's called Who Am I? Uh, that's easy. You're Andrew Maine. 
host of the Weird Things podcast. You are, you're right now in Coconut Creek, Florida. Yep. And uh, you were you, born you, to uh, uh, Patricia Harder. You you are uh, joining us live via Skype through the magic of the internet. This is super. This is the worst segment you've ever come up with, Andrew. I'm sorry. Terrible. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I I thought it would be harder than that. Now, um, what you ought to do, here's what you ought to do, is you ought to, like, give us clues about someone who isn't you, and then we can figure out who that person is. Yeah, so you wouldn't be you. Yeah. I, I, I really, man, you really need to think out of the box on this. Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're on to something. You're on to something. You just need to take it to the next. See, that's why Justin and I are good for this podcast. See, I imagine last week when you guys were really tongue and smart. Like, I mean, the problem here isn't that I'm an idiot; it's that I'm a bad influence for Brian. I was just Brian explaining that. Is like, like, oh, I can engage in a, in a real substantive conversation, and instead all I'm right, like, all right, let me start over then. Okay, let me do some internet searching. <laughs> okay, all right. The hard part is too. It's like I go, I know, I know where they're gonna go when I do that statement, and I have to patiently let you guys get it out of your system. It's out of our system now. We're ready, boss. So, who am I? Who are you? Yeah, do we have any clues? Um, oh, you want clues? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, I'll tell you what. Um, are are you are you alive today? I'm dead. I'm dead. Okay. I'm, I'm a guy from like a hundred years ago. But, more. but you're a guy. You're you're a male. Yeah. I will give you some clues, okay? And here's right. the overwhelming thing: is that uh, one of my family members kind of like I was famous. I was like super super famous. Okay, I was like. I was like, I don't know, the Daniel Day-Lewis of my day. So you were okay. in the picture shows. You were in the moving pictures. It's before movies. Whoa. Right before. Okay, I was super famous. I was considered great. Like, I was really awesome, the best. Really the awesomest, bestest. Now, hold on. Was it, um, we, did you have maybe a reputation for overstating how great you were? Because you seemed no, pretty no, no. full this of yourself. Is what people, this is what people said. Okay. So. All right. People say this about you. Now, I may have talked like this, but I was actually kind of understated compared to other people of the day. Huh. But well-respected. People really Very dug well you. Respected. There's actually a statue of me, like, in New York. Shut up, bro. You got a statue? I got a statue. How tall Little is that statue. statue? Little statue. Now, the guy asking these questions probably walked by the statue a hundred times and never even noticed it before. But there's a statue there. Wait, wait, you mean me? I asked the, I no, walked past the no, statue? Meet me, me, the guy oh. that I'm channeling through. You, oh, okay, I got you, sure. Uh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you one of the awesome things that I did, okay? So I'm on a train, right? Okay, and this was all corroborated and all that. So Man, the this incident was... occurred while a group of passengers were late at night purchasing their sleeping car places from the conductor. This is, this is by somebody else saying this about the dude who stood on the station platform at the entrance of the car. The platform was about the height of the car floor, and there was, of course, a narrow space between the platform and the car body. There was some crowding, and I happened to be pressed against it by the car body while waiting my turn. In this situation, the train began to move, and by the motion, I was twisted off my feet and had dropped somewhat with feet downward into the open space and was personally helpless. Okay, this guy's about to get run over by a train. Okay? Yeah, no, I would imagine he would be a little disturbed about this. When my coat collar was vigorously seized, and I was quickly pulled up and out to a secure footing on the platform. Upon turning to thank my rescuer, I saw it was the guy we're talking about right now. Who am I? Okay, besides being like— Oh, this is an account of—this is not the guy talking, but this is this is an account of that guy saving someone's life. Some yes. hapless boob fell off yeah. a train. Dude, it's, uh, it was, it's Dick Tracy. This guy, uh, I will give you, I'll tell you a little about who the guy who was, who got rescued, was actually the son of a president. What? The guy who got son rescued? Son of a president got rescued by Mr. Who Am I? Wow. Okay. The only man I could pull out of the way of a moving train was the son so, of a let, president. 
I'm going to give you a little more background, okay? This guy, sure. you ready for more? You ready to jump on this, or do you want me to give you more clues? Well, uh, yeah, more clues, more clues. Feed us, because this, this guy this, sounds This guy, he was recognized for playing Hamlet, considered one of the best Hamlets ever. Best Hamlet since Hamlet. Wow. I mean, like, would it, would, all right, I'm going to make a guess. It, it would it be Lawrence Olivier? No, this is way before Lawrence way Olivier. Before, way this before. is we're talking we're talking 19th century before the moving picture shows. Justin, it's before uh, the moving. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I like like last week. I, I haven't listened to this podcast. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you a little more clue. Uh, I was really famous. Then my brother, my my idiot brother, went and did something really, really, really bad. Oh my God, I know what this is. No, you said before. Wait, is it John Wilkes Booth's brother? Yep. Shut up! John Wilkes, Wilkes bro- brother, Edwin Booth, was the most famous actor of the day, considered the greatest actor of that period. He had rescued Abraham Lincoln's son. That was the guy who wrote that. Okay, what? From a train before the assassination. Are you okay. kidding me? Robert Lincoln recalled in a 1909 letter about the time that he was saved, and he turned around to realize who it was. It was Edwin Booth, the great actor. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So check it out. John Wilkes Booth's brother, great actor, rescued Robert Lincoln, saved his life, and then just and also did not get along with his brother because apparently had a little bit of a political difference. Really? <laughs> yeah. Apparently yeah. Uh, his brother had yeah. some sort of uh, extremist ideas. So I, that's man. Talk about an all-time slide in moods, right? You know, if you're like, "Hey, life's pretty good for me. I'm old Edwin Booth. Eddie, they call me Easy Eddie. That's what I do. I'm just old life-saving Hamlet Eddie." You know, like he's just like he's feeling really good and he's full of self-confidence. It's like really the only thing is like he wishes he was closer with his family, but you know, things are a little hairy there. They really uh, sometimes they can't get it together. Uh, you know, and then boom, you know. Well, so, okay, I, wonder, so- I wonder if that was part of what John Wilkes Booth was. He was like, they were at the Ford Theater. He's like, my brother's better. Boom. You're dead. Now, well, did- you ever heard of the Players Club? Uh, probably not the same Players Club well, you're that's talking where they took about. That's the name from. Oh, got it. Okay. That's, he was a founding member of that. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so here's the thing. When you go out and decide you want to shoot the president and shout, you know, as it always is with tyrants in Latin, and then go jumping off the balcony, you don't think about how it's going to screw up things for your brother. And I'm saying this mainly on the off chance that my brother goes off the deep end and then he listens to this. Like, please don't inconvenience me and then lose your crap and kill someone famous. Yeah. Word well, wise. I mean, but like, all right. It, it kind of think about it from the other way, though. Right, like if let's say he killed somebody, a lesser politician, right, or did something heinous, equally as heinous as murder, maybe more heinous. He killed multiple people that were just randoms, right? Like his brother's fame as an actor probably would have still eclipsed anything that his brother did, even if it meant murdering more people that just weren't the president. It's only really, it's only through the fact that he murders the president that. That that's eclipse. Because imagine if Daniel Day Lewis's brother went into a bank and yeah. just you know took an Uzi and murdered sixteen people. At the end of the day, we still the first line in Daniel Day Lewis's Daniel uh, Day Lewis's brother. That's the headline. Is not not 
Joe Lewis, smoke, smoke of Joe Lewis. It says Daniel Day Lewis's brother guns down in a bunch of people. Well, with no, the no, no, no. I'm saying like legacy wise, like yeah. no matter what, Edwin. But we didn't. We were shocked that this dude. You know, we didn't know who he was. We were shocked that this dude was the brother of of, of John Wilkes Booth. Right. right, right. Like if if let's say we we that we're taking the Daniel Day Lewis example. Uh, no matter what, Daniel Day Lewis's brother could go out and kill eight people tomorrow. Yes. Okay, yes. I'm not. That's I'm not a suggestion. Daniel Day Lewis's brother. I'm just it's a hypothetical. If he did that, the first line in Daniel Day Lewis's obituary would still be famed actor. Yes, you know, if Daniel Day Lewis's brother killed the president, the first line in Daniel Day Lewis's brother of is going president to be killer. brother of yeah. assassin, a presidential assassin. Yeah, president killer is kind of hard to live down. Yeah, Man, I'll tell you what one, though. That one spreads far and wide in the family tree. And you gotta think like, yeah, you're here you are, you're on top of the world. Like, they're gonna probably build a statue for me in Central in Gramercy Park. And I'm the great I'm I am the Daniel Day Lewis of the day. Whatever that means. <laughs> okay? Whoever Daniel Day Lewis looks turns like out to Lincoln. Be. That's because yeah, that's because Daniel Day Lewis in thirty years will invent a time travel machine and go back to Edwin Booth and say, You you're like, you're at the you were the me table. before I was the me. I'm Daniel Day Lewis. I'm like, playing a character. Wait, 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 you're the at the dinner table back. and you're talking to your brother and you're like, Hey, listen, bro, sorry, them the break. History's gonna remember me, not you. Yeah. Uh Daniel Day Lewis comes back and plays Lincoln and gets killed by uh <laughs> by John Wilkes Booth, ironically. By the way, that trailer just—I mean—can we agree? Like, that's just mail him all. Not only just this Oscar, but all yeah. the Oscars. Later. I, I was bored by it. I was—I—I I understand. I'm not saying that it's going to be a great movie. I'm saying it is the Oscar baitiest of all Oscar bait movies. I mean, it, it is our Oscar bait, but I've seen other Oscar bait movies that turn out to be terrible and not even get nominated for an Oscar. Like, um, like, like, didn't Castaway get totally snubbed, even though it was pure Oscar bait with these incredible visuals and, and, uh, that Castaway was an Oscar bait. Uh, I mean, wait, Castaway was a big was a big movie. It was, it was right after you had you had uh, Tom Hanks right after Philadelphia playing a completely different role and 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 where there's no dialogue and he has to express all this stuff. The visuals were insane and and revolutionary for the time. You, that that movie was Oscar. No, 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 that was it was a it was a risk. I don't think, but like Oscar bait to me is something that plays very very specifically to. You know, something that that like a wide swath of Hollywood voters would vote for. This is I that. would say Oscar bait is when a director who does very very big pictures then goes down and does a smaller picture with less commercial appeal because they think they'll give him critical appeal, which was well, a lot of Spielberg happen. picks. Yeah. Which, by the way, uh, can you believe that the year that uh, that uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan came out that it lost to Shakespeare in Love for Best Picture? Well, that's the whole. I mean, that was like the the birth of the legend of of Harvey Weinstein as the the uh, the voter whisperer. Oh, really? I, I enjoyed Saving Private Ryan, but the big reveal and some of the other elements to it, I thought were a little bit. It's got problems, but as yeah. a cinematic uh, icon of history that will live for decades, for like. Uh, you could put Saving Private Ryan right up next to like Gandhi or uh, or or uh, you know Sir Lawrence or uh, what was it um, the. Lawrence uh, of Arabia. Edwin, Edwin Booth. Edwin Booth. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, but but then but then you try to wedge Shakespeare and Love in there on that list, and it just looks ridiculous. I got to go back and watch because it was a fun movie. But it I was like cute. But different. you don't put a cute movie over that. That was a, it's a John Madden film. John Madden. Yeah. Yeah. Not, 
Boom! Boom! Look at his broken hearts. Then he takes the pen, he writes a sonnet, and then bada bing, bada bang. You got a little Sopranos when you got that. Yeah, I did. I see. I, you could tell I don't watch sports ball. That's the problem. I got the Telestrator in there somewhere. Or, or, or the Sopranos, apparently. That's right. <laughs> Gentlemen, today, nerds everywhere collectively. Yes. Let out a very excited sound. Yes, yes. Are you talking about because of the music video with Ben Folds 5 and the Fraggles? Because that's what I let out a very excited sound. No, Brian, I'm I, not. No. See, NASA does this symposium called the 100-Year Starship. It's about kind of long-term ideas, taking the long view towards space and exploration, or as we like to call it, conquest. <laughs> as and you like they to. had a paper that got brought up, and we, we get this every now and then when we talk about fast and light travel, and somebody will mention there's the idea of the, the Alcaberry warp drive, which was a Mexican physicist. I think Miguel Alcaberry, Alcaberry suggested this idea of how to build a warp drive where basically you're, you're bending space around the object and stretching it and compacting it, etc., using exotic matter and a lot of other things I really don't understand. And please don't write in to explain it because you don't understand either. Um, oh. Anyhow. And if I, you did... I wouldn't understand what you said. Exactly, so. exactly. What, what was his uh, name? Edwin Booth? Is that what we decided? Yes. I'm going to yes. decide I'm going to decide he's an expert in everything. Like unless Ed, you're Edwin, Edwin Booth. Ackabuther. Well, that's that's always the funny part. It's like we'll say something like that. We'll talk about like some science concept and I'll be like, "Yeah, I'm not sure if I rap me." And then I get people on Twitter or whatever try to explain I'm like, "No, no, like it's like magnetism. I can draw little fields and things <laughs> like that and show you formulas and stuff, but I'm with ICP. It blows my mind." <laughs> okay. um, so, Anyhow, the problem with it is it, apparently, you know, an Alcaberry drive could be like non-relativistic problems. So you could actually go FTL without like having like, you know, the grandfather paradox, et cetera, all that, because you're, it's the space is being bent around it. But the time stream stays the same, it's supposedly. OK, right. And there's a lot of you know discussion under that. But the problem, one of the problems is you need exotic matter, which by very the name of it is exotic. Tough to come and by. It, and then yeah. you need huge, huge amounts of energy. The first time he came up with this, people looked at the math like, well, this would take more, you know, more energy than the entire mass of the universe, That's which would be a problem. Yeah, that is the lot. And then somebody rejiggered the calculations and said, okay, maybe a Jupiter-sized mass of energy. Now, this latest conference they've done, scientists have said, well, if we change the shape of some things, we could get away with maybe take like the Pioneer space probe, let's say 500 pounds, 500 pounds. Of energy. Gee, I'll Wait, tell you what, at this rate, in five years, we can do it with a corgi. Maybe. Maybe. So now, one of the limiting factors on this thing, the ridiculous amounts of energy, may have been reduced dramatically to the point where we're actually being able to produce miserable amounts of antimatter in the laboratory. And there is a Moore's Law, as we've discussed, to antimatter production, where every few years, we actually double our ability to produce it. And you're looking at, by the end of the century, you'll be able to produce a ton of antimatter. So the energy wow. problem. So you don't, you don't need are, a metaphorical so as, as we get better at understanding how to harness it, we could meet in the middle somewhere of of the amount that we need versus the amount that we could produce, and theoretically we could we could start doing these things. Yeah, well, there there's a lot of ifs, and 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 my thinking is that there's going to be a there's always there's better be way to do it there. by the time that we can do this particular method. Yeah, and. You know, exotic matter is sort of a term that we use for things that maybe exist but maybe don't exist because you hear people like, oh, tachyons. Tachyons are an imaginary particle. They make as much 
they're just as likely as, you know, Narnia. So yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I, this is going to dip ahead into the future. I'm going to use a time warp. I just came, hello, gentlemen, I just arrived from 40 minutes later in the episode during our pick wow. section. Is and, that how hair looks in the future? Because that's yeah. dumb. Yeah. It's Edwin Booth here. I need to tell him. I need to warn him something about his brother. 40 minutes from now, we're going to have a discussion where we talk about our picks, about what we're reading. And I'm going to mention that I'm reading Abundance, uh, which was recommended to me over Twitter. And it is fantastic. But in it... They make the point that uh, that the human brain is not wired to wrap its mind around uh, geometric progression, around uh, uh, exponential growth. We think of everything in terms of linear growth. And so, for example, you talk about how we have a Moore's law for antimatter production. Uh, the book makes the problem the 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 uh, I guess lays it out like if I if I step out of my front door and take thirty steps forward. Uh, linearly, each step is about a meter, so I've gone 30 meters, and we can very clearly picture that in our mind. But if I say, if I go out my front door and take 30 steps uh, at, with exponential growth, each one being a multiplication of the one that comes before it, uh, you you can't wrap your mind around how far that would be when, in fact, it would be uh, uh, billions of, of miles, long enough to actually go uh, around the Earth 26 times is, is 30 steps of geometric progression there. And so likewise, they talk about in Moore's Law where the problem is we can't wrap our mind around, you know, 0. 0.000002 progressing to point zero 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 four progressing to point zero 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 eight to our stupid monkey brains it still all looks like zero to us until all of a sudden it just explodes in our face and we can't understand why uh so that is that is huge for you to say that uh that we have a moore's law of antimatter production because uh i don't know where we're at now as far as the volume but there's going to be a time when essentially you're going to hear, oh, maybe one of these days is antimatter. And then the next freaking day, they're like, we've got tons of antimatter. We could go anywhere now. Someone get all this antimatter off my front scoop. I'm positively maggoty with the antimatter. The anti-antimatter lobby. So we're going to be like, so you're for it? <laughs> no, I'm, no, we're anti-antimatter. We're not anti <laughs> I'm pro-matter. I'm not pro anti-matter. No, wait. No, wait. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. <laughs> So it's a fairly, it's, it's a fairly good uh, assessment of political discourse. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting because, like, this is a thing. And when I think about sci-fi and all that, I try not to really do too much stuff like warp drives, et cetera, because there, there are a lot of these little hangups in the math. And and also, I think that you can create very, very interesting universes where you don't have fast, fast and light travel and. And I've gone on and on before about just think of all of the resources in living space with our own solar system if we start taking asteroids and retrofitting them and building orbitals, et cetera, and, and objects that well, – a lot of our concepts of what we should do, space elevators, et cetera, are kind of 19th century ideas. But when you start to think forward and then thinking about the idea of when you have tremendous amounts of computational power greater than the amount of surface area that we currently live on. You know, there's a uh, new paper that's come out talking about how if you if you chart the development of, let's say, a PlayStation 3 and where it'll be 20 years from now, and if you took all those PlayStations around the world and linked them together, how realistic of an environment could they create? And the answer is, is an extremely hyper-realistic environment as real as anything that we're used to right now. And when we start thinking about it, everything, it's just it's really so hard to wrap our head around the future because we're still trying to make sense of the present. 
I, it's over my head already. I don't even know. I mean, it's like, uh, it's, I'm telling you, it's like we're, we're dumb apes who can't wrap our mind around how things progress. I, I totally agree. And, and that's why you get the sort of the, uh, the post-humanist sort of idea that what we need to do is think about advancing ourselves. But it, there's a question, at what point do we lose our humanity? And there's a lot of I, to be, a lot you, know, of, you know what? I don't care. I don't care when we lose our humanity. I don't care if 300 years from now we're, we're all robots with consciousnesses that, that all think we're human. Like if we think we're human and we believe in our humanity uh, and we believe there's an unbroken chain back to our ancestors, what do I care what my body's made of? Well, Silicon let me, or let me, robot parts? Let me throw parts? a hypothetical at you, okay? Let's I mean, say I, that I, – On some level, are we not that now? But sorry, go ahead. Well, this will be a discussion point is that if we say, okay, Brian, we can fix this part of you that makes sometimes irrational decisions, uh, but it's also going to make you feel no more differently about your own children than you do your friends. Well, but that's just it. That won't sell. What you'll do, what you'll have to do is you'll sell me like, um, hey, man, I noticed that uh, you're prone to irrationality. Uh, that's because you get a uh, an imbalance of this hormone. What we like to do is cut out this part of your brain. We're going to replace it with this regulator. Everything will be totally the same. You just won't be prone to these bursts of outbursts. You won't be tempted to hit your child or whatever. You know, I mean, not uh, you know, in the, in the hypothetical situation. Because your child obviously deserves it. So, well, I mean, because your child stayed out super late and she's texting her boyfriend, and sometimes you just want to put her in her place. Uh, but then the uh, but then but it's like like yes then good then lose that part of humanity become more robot like. But what if what if it it in nature I mean what if that makes you feel what if part of part of love is this sort of irrationality? Yeah. What, what if what if the fact that you freak out about little things is also the thing that makes you you know uh, spontaneously latch onto and give praise to things and nurture things i mean what's so great about that what's so great about uh irrationality and and making pro like it may be a well, because, because because i think i think you're isolating the negative elements without realizing that some of the things that you love the most in life might also come from that well the uh we talked about this when we talked about uh, the man who mistook his wife for a hat, uh, where there was there was cases of you know people who have Tourette's where they have this big negative. Oh, that was the episode I was on. Yes, great episode. Yeah, great episode. <laughs> so you say, sir? Great. Oh, god, amazing episode. <laughs> Memories, right, guys? The Woo! three bros, the three amigos, totally musketeering <laughs> it up. Just good times. Everything was right with the world. But it's man like, in a hat. Go ahead. But, but <laughs> man in a hat. Man in a big yellow hat. Go ahead. What are you talking about, Curious George? I was saying that 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 was a, <laughs> that that was a problem where the 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 person who had Tourette's had a chemical that would eliminate the Tourette's, but left him feeling so bland that he missed what he loved about life. And so the compromise was sometimes he, during the week he would take the drug so he could function in society, and on weekends he'd loosen up and then you know allowed allow himself to play crazier jazz because he was off his meds. Um, okay. But like that, that's a, that is that this conversation taken to a extraordinary extreme. So we can draw a circle around, you know, what if our culture, our society, and let's even drill it down that are elements of our culture. I mean, the beautiful thing about the internet is we're able to kind of wall off with people that are like-minded. What if the elements that we dig into and love the most about how we interact with our friends and our family and the people that we look for online are because on some level 
there is an irrationality that we all share, even if it's not necessarily healthy or or logical. I mean, I don't think uh, let's say that is the case. I, it, it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is the person who wants to undergo the procedure. How do they feel about it? That's that's the beginning and the end of the discussion. That's all well, that matters. We were, at, we're using you as our hypothetical. I mean, give you an example. You take, let's say, in healthcare. Okay, uh, we spend a lot of money doing heart operations and hip surgeries for elderly people who are going to have very short lifespans after the fact. And in, in, in our, our present system, uh, we also spend money, you know, to children who are born prematurely, whatever, heart surgeries, et cetera. Money we spend at the, the, lay, the latter part of years of life, we're not going to get anything back from productivity out of these people. In fact, there's going to be a greater tax on the system because they use, you know, they're more dependent upon other re- resources from other people, et cetera. And so there's a calculation you could do to say that spending money on the old people is an inefficient way to use resources. Okay? All right. And in some societies, they make that decision. And so they don't spend as much on old people because they say, well, this isn't as practical. And also, they don't at the first part of life because they say, hey, you know, children are easy. We don't, it's not like they have college educations. There's not a lot invested in them. You know, nine months later, we can have another one anyway to take their place. And those are very cold, rational decisions that on paper look good. But okay. from an emotional point of view, I think we all sort of go, yeah, but there's, there's some aspect of humanity missing in that decision. I mean, is there? So those sound like the most human decisions to make, to sit there and say, we have a limited amount of resources. I care very deeply, and I wonder for the – because, I mean, what messes it up is you're you're assuming that the decision-maker is an outsider. And to me, the decision-maker – uh, for the for the story about becoming robots is always the person deciding to make the alteration on themselves. Yeah, I guess my point is is that that I would say that like for me, you know, what, whatever I define as humanity, I think that I I look for that, I respect that, and I want to pressure that and say for that. So if it's an old person, et cetera, if I can give them a couple more weeks because they have humanity, I'd want to do that. From a rational point of view, it may not be there, but I'm saying is if I if you all of a sudden start tweaking around with my rationality. See, okay, so let let me let me flip this around on you, right? There's a uh, because because the situation you guys, I understand where you guys are coming from, but but both you guys are talking about being on the outside, deciding what other people should do, and I'm not a fan no, of even well, no, thinking that all way. Right, all right, hold uh, on. Can I say that that's not what I was saying? Okay. What, what were that's you saying? That's not what I was saying. Okay. I was I was just saying I'm not saying that we sh- that you should be able to do one thing or the other. I'm just introducing the idea that it might not be as as simple as that, like. What we think are isolated issues that we can solve with directed solutions might have more consequences and ramifications than we think. Right. That's and, all I, I and, I'm not, and I'm not talking about – I'm saying for me, if you told me, Andrew, if you take this pill, that the way you look at that now is going to change. Right, right. Certainly, certainly. OK, but I, I am always – I'm always prone to assume – that I don't know what's going through someone else's mind and that they should have the freedom to do whatever nutty thing to their body that they want, including making changes all the way to the point where where you question whether or not they're human anymore. You know, like we want to know what you want to do. Uh, oh, I mean, I, 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 I want to sit back and raise my daughters and be the dad. I mean, they're, they're, it's like I'm, I'm too tied to my life as, as a okay. dad and a public figure. I would not want to do anything nutty. You know, I don't even have a tattoo because I'm afraid that someday I might get the chance to act in a movie and they're like, oh, we don't want a guy who has a tattoo. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I, I'm, I'm total chicken and I'm not the right person to think about. But instead, let's, let's think about somebody else. you got these artists who implant. Oh, uh, we all for anybody doing whatever, the chicken feathers, whatever, all for that. And no, I'm all for people to know what you ducks. would do. 
uh, to, for people becoming ducks. Uh, like Howard the duck. Like, if you want to become Howard the duck, I'm totally for it. All right. And I'm with you, Brian. I haven't gotten a tattoo or a piercing because one day I want to have the option to be buried in the Jewish cemetery. Now, I'm not Jewish, <laughs> but just so I have that option open. Uh, I mean, things that I would do, I mean, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, down the road, uh, um, you know, if I lost one leg and they were to say, hey, man, cut off the other leg, too. We'll give you a pair of these springy legs that are balanced. And then you can run fast. I was like, rad, you know, or down the road. It's like I start to get the early onset of frame. I'm going to I'm going to mount my other leg and leave it in my living room. Yeah, this leads us right into our next next topic. All right. Hit me up. What do you got? Uh, So um on the subject of brain implants, some researchers have got have done some made some very exciting developments, and I consider it horrifying because we have a whole new scenario to think about for an apocalypse. Because all of a sudden, it solves two the two problems with apocalyptic scenarios, and it combines them into a new nightmare for us all to have. All right, go on. So uh, they found this on io9. So for the very first time, scientists have demonstrated that a brain implant can improve the thinking ability in primates. So this is great. This is what they did. They put in this implant into monkeys, right? And they needed to impair their thinking to see if the implant would work when they switched it on. So quick question, what did they do to the monkeys to impair their thinking? Bonked them on the head with, a, with an oversized m- mallet. Uh, made them... Mayor Monkey and gave them a suitcase full of bananas. You're very close, both of you. <laughs> Wrong. No. Oh. Uh, a suitcase full of cocaine. What? Wait, they give the monkeys cocaine. I get no credit for the suitcase. <laughs> yeah. They're not really a suitcase full of cocaine, Justin. They're they're not like sending you know monkeys like in a Miami Vice little drug deal to go buy their own cocaine <laughs> for the experiments. <laughs> So apparently that's what they do. If you're working on primates, and again, we we find out there's the most. I want to do like the journals Journal of Cocaine Research because this is just a as a as a guy that doesn't even drink coffee. This is just fascinating to me that there are these whole areas of of drug research. We found like squids and cocaine. We found an example yeah. of that. So now apparently when they want to do like they want to impair the monkeys, they give them cocaine. Um, but that's not the problem. Well, so what what do the implants do? Some sort of implant that like helps improve their decision making. That makes the monkeys smarter, okay? Now, what's the problem with the Skynet scenario? You have a super powerful computer, and it's like, all right, I'm in charge. Oh, you ain't got no legs. What are you going to do? What if I control an army of monkeys? Wait a minute. But, but the, the implant doesn't control the monkeys, though. They're, it's autonomous decision-making software, I assume, right? Well, Brian, that's how it starts. Okay, all right. Yeah. Brian's the boardroom telling Brian. everybody, listen, the implants don't control the monkey. Our Skynet project over there is totally separate. We got the latest virusware update to it. It's totally not going to take control of this army of chimpanzees, by the way, which is five times as strong as a human being with a supercomputer powering them. All right. You're ready? A million times smarter than us. Wrap, Don't worry. Wrap your mind around this, all right? If, if let's say we have a Skynet scenario where it becomes fashionable, H-plus style, everyone has implants, all the monkeys have implants, and at first there's uh, – and then one day – all the monkeys suddenly are under the control of the Skynet superintelligence. There's some kind of battle, but eventually a virus gets invented, leaked into the human implants, and all of a sudden one day we wake up and all the humans are 100% under control of this super intelligent, uh, artificial intelligence. The third time you plugged this book. <laughs> Which book? What, the, what were you talking about? Were the, the H+. 
Oh, that's oh, not that's not, that's not that's a, a book. That's a, that's that's a digital the, yeah. series. That's it's ongoing. That's why that's why that's why it's All still right. on my mind. Um, but uh, the uh, back to the scenario, right? Okay, exactly. no, no, no. But but I'm saying like once that happens. Once we're all under control of Team Super Intelligent Robot, then I'm 100%. That's just us now. That's gener- that's, Ameri- that's humanity generation two, and I hope we go on to take over the rest right. of the universe. I like your Pollyannish future version of the future. I'm talking about the Xerxes Primate Research Laboratory right now. Some supercomputer getting hold of the chimpanzees there. That's we've not had robot apocalypse. We talk about Planet of the Apes, but now we've combined the two of them. This is yeah. This is this is uh, uh, Skynet with Doctor Zayas. I don't know. It just seems like it'd be too easy. I, I, Wait, I hold on. How are you? How do you go to this whole thing where we? You just went from zero to us getting enveloped into a super intelligent monkey race as an underclass, and you're and, and to the Skynet meets Planet of the Apes thing. You're like. That's not what I said. I, I said. I said I don't believe it would be hard to defeat it at all. The problem is, is from a policy decision, the second they start acting up, we just we just torch the place. We just blow them yeah, all up. We don't no. care about monkeys. But but, the, but like, if it's humans, then it's different. Out. Remember, they're like they're like a, they're like singularity intelligent they're chimpanzees. They're they're uh, that's not. Uh, we Dude, would have be so smart. We got so one, one would get on the other one's shoulders and they'd have like a big lab code and maybe getting through secret government facilities you're telling me the united states military would have any trouble whatsoever the only reason and and you could you could say rise of the planet of the apes to me but the only reason that they built into that story that all of humanity gets so sick that they get overrun by the but but that's not part of the scenario the scenario is you're thinking of chimpanzees with like human level smarts i'm talking like lex luther smart that no can figure out, can game theory you, and they're like all friendly and stuff, and you're like, you did your press conference, oh, they're totally safe, and you're like, I'm gonna take them on Ellen. Okay, wait, 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 wait. All right, all right, all right. So, so the number of, okay, so the number of, of postulates here, we have number one, a, an army that have implants. Number two, the implants make them smarter than any human. They're controlled by a supercomputer. And number three, that Networks, they're all controlled global by a supercomputer. Network okay. By, a, by a, a, the greatest military genius software sure. ever created. anything else you want to throw in there as well because well, uh, right. what, what you're doing is you're defining the outcome because if that's the case well then crap then why are we even having the discussion about the battle because it's obvious that they're going to win it's like you can't i'm you glad can't... you finally come to terms with that wait i started off coming to terms with it and you all suckers pulled me back and said no let's talk about the battle and i'm saying there'll be no battle Man, Brian, you really get worked up. Oh, you sons of bitches. Brian, what are you trying to hide? God damn it. Brian, do you care to talk about the proposal you made before the board? I liked it better when when I'm going to do the weird weird Brian show where it's like none of you bastards are on there. It's just me. Weird Bri. Oh, weird, weird Bri. Weird Bri. I'm just saying, like, it's one thing when we're all kind of like homo sapien plus and we got implants in our brain. But like, you know, we're watching the little chimp delightfully ride around on the tricycle because it's being controlled by the computer. It's like, oh, we taught it how to do this. We're like, great. The next thing you know, it's field stripping and M16. Like, oh, look at what it can do there. And like, oh, you know, this nuclear reactor is quite hazardous to humans. We found out chimps are much more resistant to radiation. It's inside the reactor playing with plutonium. Where does it stop, Brian? I, that's not a question. Nothing you said made any sense. You just drew a bunch of pictures, and then you said, how do you answer this? And there's like a stick figure of a naked monkey throwing a banana that's made of plutonium. It's like, that's not a question. That's not a question. 
Yeah, you're scared. That was, that was, Andrew had a better drawing. I was the one with the stick. <laughs> you're scared, Brian. Just admit it. <laughs> okay, I'll, I, I'll admit whatever it takes to get past this because you're not asking any real questions. You're just saying comment on this, and whatever I say, you needle me and ask me to go the opposite direction. Welcome to Weird Things, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, to be honest, I, listen, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit. I have no idea how this conversation got contentious. <laughs> From my point of view, there is literally no contentious element to this conversation, and yet it has devolved into yelling. I have no idea what there is. Like, like, really, all I hear is Andrew has an idea. We're talking about the idea. Brian has another idea. We go back to the Andrew idea, and, Andrew, and Brian starts yelling. I have no idea why we're yelling. Should probably get an implant to calm that down. <laughs> you guys want to do picks? Sure. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Uh, uh, I need to look up the name of something. And so by the way, okay, d- during that break, let me let me let me just clarify. The reason I got upset is because you guys, you guys weren't even listening to me. You were trying to shut down what I was trying to express, and then you drew me back to the other area. And then when I when I explained how I felt about that, you're like, well, why don't you talk about the bigger things, which is what I was trying to talk about at the very beginning. I was trying to... I wanted this to describe what it would be like, you know, the war with, you know, Skynet chimps. That's what I wanted. Not... Yep, yeah, it happens. Okay. Well, no. Well, like, <laughs> what that's I'm not trying fun. To, well, but, but the problem is, is what I was trying to express is I don't share the underpinnings of the fear of that. Like, I'm not afraid of us losing our humanity, uh, which I think is an interesting idea. The idea that, you know, because almost all of these are predicated on the idea that, that it's, it's bad to lose our humanity. And I don't know that it would be so bad, bad for us to become a little more logical and, and get better at, at taking care of ourselves and growing and living longer. Okay, all all right. and, and to, to my point earlier, we are, I mean, and, and we are, we are unrecognizable, you know, in, in, in many ways, you know, as we've, you know, gotten better at the science and medicine and nutrition and, uh, you know, we, we live lives that would be unfathomably long compared to where we came from not long ago. So I, I think that we are always doing that to, to be human is to evolve in the, in the kind of way that, uh, that self-preservation is the guiding light on. So, uh, I, I think that that absolutely is is what it is. However, I do understand Andrew's point that that is not necessarily the guiding principle of a war between Skynet chimps and humans. Well, yeah, but I mean, I guess uh, uh, yes. I mean, the pro- I guess the the problem with the scenario, as as I saw it, was that it's it's so front light. Like, I honestly feel like. Um, you could have any two of those three postulates, and and we would wipe them out without a problem. You could have them be super intelligent. You could have them be implanted, uh, or you could have them be implanted and controlled by a computer, or you could have them be controlled by a computer, and or then you couldn't control anyway. But any two of those three, <laughs> you could have you could have them super intelligent and using a computer. <laughs> there you go, using laptops, and I feel like humanity would have no trouble wiping them out. But you throw all three of them in there, and then it's just like, well, then what's the point? You're just front loading it to the point where. Well, it's I'll awesome. tell you what. I, I, uh, I, the, the the point I was making is we're already doing these implants, and I and, and the the criticism I've had with a lot of the computer takes over scenarios is we don't have robots. You know, you have Skynet. Skynet works when all of a sudden there, there's a, an assembly line to start putting them out. And here's the idea that you know we've talked about in many different forms before, which was an idea you like from H plus, which was a virus taking over people. I'm like, here we have chimps with implants now. And you want to say, hey, you know, super intelligent machine wants to take advantage of this now. You've got this creature that's physically better than a human for your army. 
Uh, okay, all right, here. But to Brian's point, you said that the two things, right, that we'd have no trouble wiping them out. Let's say Skynet-level intelligence and networked chimp army, right? right? But they're not smarter than humans. Let's say they are they are just maybe slightly smarter than, than what chips are now they're, or, they're or the same pawns. amount of intelligence. Yeah. Are you telling me that that can't, I mean, like, surely they're not taking over society, but as, pardon the phrase, a guerrilla army, <laughs> are you telling me that they can't, uh, that they can't screw some stuff up, that they can't hold a little pocket of, of an area of the world and, and, and maybe, maybe our, make life hell for us? Maybe where we're having trouble is, like, I'm, I can't picture this army being more than 10,000. And, and against the world of humanity, I can't see them having a well, chance. It's, it's How- 10,000. They, they, they have computer networks. They've taken control of all the nuclear bombs. Okay, but see, that's the third one. That's that's the one that you weren't no, allowed to go super, to. No, it's the Brian. No, we're back oh, no, to the, the super, super intelligence. Okay, over. okay, all right, all right, all right. So it's now the super it's computer case, takes yeah. over, and now it's it's infantry. It has monkeys. Yeah, chimpanzees. Man, just ten thousand doesn't sound like enough to unless unless it, uh, it would require an astounding act of terrorist level thought thinking uh, of of uh, terrorism. I, I mean, it's like uh, you'd have to throw an EMP or some kind of giant distracting event. The, the the super intelligent computer would have to be hip to a lot of human psychology to take advantage of it. I don't know. Gorilla Which on. would you rather face off, a T-800 or a chimp with an implant? Oh, I'd rather face the T-800. Boom. All right. That's a good point. Suck on that one, Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, Bonnie. Bonnie just walked in. Bonnie, the invisible wife, can chime in on this. Can we, can we get a last-minute opinion on this? Can I throw an sure. audible out there? Yes. All right. Um, here. Grab that. There we go. All right, Bonnie. Which would you rather have humanity fa- Here, Actually, you guys phrase it because I'm going to screw it up. I'm gonna, you guys are going to not like how I say it. Justin? Oh, come on. No. You're saying it. Are you uh, uh, Bonnie, which would you rather which would you rather have to fight? A T eight hundred robot like from the movie Terminator or a chimpanzee with a brain implant controlled by a supercomputer? Ooh. You know, well, she likes this. Yeah. You know, it's difficult because both of them are these like like pose as like regular creatures i guess you know but the thing is is like if i saw a chimpanzee run around i'd be like i bet you that's that evil chimpanzee because like <laughs> chimpanzees don't so just you run could, around you could be like animalist against chimpanzees yes exactly it'd be, like, be easy to spot like, him i I'm kill sorry. all you know <laughs> i'm sorry i was raised i was raised to, to suspect all apes it was just a little bit scary well, you know, I mean, certainly if you're on a city block and a chimpanzee comes along and he's got like, the oh, okay. devil in his eyes, then you're like, I mean, certainly if you're at an ATM and all of a sudden a chimpanzee's behind you, you feel a little bit nervous. <laughs> Remember, it won't be like he's. It's not like he's dressed in like a people suit and carrying a briefcase trying to blend in. He's like he's like he's Ben climbing. Grimm. He's like he's using oh, his chimp powers so to like climb to fire escapes him. and stuff. You don't even see him, and then he's on top of you, biting your face off and your testicles off. Yeah, oh. even and did you know you had testicles in this scenario? <laughs> Not anymore. You're going to grow them in fear. I don't think I mind them being gone, I guess. So, well, yeah, but like the problem with the Terminators is you don't know who's 
who's good or bad. Yeah, okay. Well, the T-800 as represented like in um, uh, Terminator Salvation, you know, they're, they're clearly robots. <laughs> this, oh, is, this is before oh, the, the, the... Like the like, mech, like, yeah. we're, we're just... Uh, okay. The, the, I, the question is, is which is a more up. devastating force? Uh, biological, you know, apes controlled by something or robots? Now, oh, well, I'm glad for the Because, like, robots are bulletproof, like, for small arms fire, though. Yeah, but then you just have those... um. M- EMPs. EMP kind of device that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Do you would you trust that? Chimps crawl through air ducts. I you know I'm I'm having yeah. to change my opinion now. I, Are you on team since robot? Since you can cl- clearly cl- clearly know that it's a robot, then I go. So with, you're more afraid of chimps. Yeah, with the organic, like having something that's real, yeah, that can maneuver and pivot and and compensate. But they can't like drive cars or nothing. Yeah, they can. I thought we. Oh, I guess in the scenario you gave them all three. That's... Oh, because they they've got an implant. Apparently they're, yeah, they're super smart. Intelligent. I mean, a chimp can ride a motorcycle right now. <laughs> oh, did you, you can do anything? That? You can do Brian and better. Dude, you can be a road warrior. I, first of all, I agree with that. There's I've no. I'm not fire, Brian. <laughs> I'm not disputing any of that. You could do Brian's whole show. <laughs> yeah, dude. In fact, yes. you'd probably do it and earn more. So. But those are. I mean, look. I mean, you know. You know. <laughs> all right. I'm suddenly uncomfortable with this discussion. <laughs> It's a chip. Oh, he just muted me. No, you're, you're, you got very excited in your laughter. I started to cackle. Too Sorry. excited. Oh, mm. That's what you do. Turn yep. me down when I get too excited. <laughs> I turn you down when you get too excited. How do you think you wound up with that Christmas miracle, Bonnie? <laughs> <laughs> Should we do picks now? Yeah, I think so. I found the name of the book. What's the name of the book? Okay, so I am currently in Boston, Massachusetts. I am uh, going to be tomorrow uh, doing a game, a uh, go game, for Ubisoft for their press junket for Assassin's Creed 3, which takes place all during the Revolutionary War. Looks awesome, uh, by the way. If you if you do look at the cinematics, I'm a sucker for video game cinematics anyway. But I particularly enjoyed this one because it's all it's all guerrilla warfare in the dead of winter and hopping among the yeah. trees, killing they, those damn Brits. It, yeah, they did like a, I think it was like a two minute or a minute and a half uh, like trailer, extended trailer during uh, the the football kickoff that looked amazing. Uh, so yeah, the, the the game looks great, and for scouting this game, I've been up and down the Freedom Trail, looking at all the the uh, you know stages that we kind of uh, the, the Revolutionary War was uh, was was fought on and, and began at, and it made me remember one of my favorite uh, books about the Revolutionary War, one of the the actors of the, of the Revolutionary War, which is Thomas Jefferson. It's uh, Thomas Jefferson, author of America by Christopher Hitchens. Uh, it was a series called Eminent Lives, and what they did is they got all a, a couple, and I forget the names escape me right now, the other, author, the other authors that they got, but they all wrote about fa- some of the founding fathers. And Hitchens, who uh, became a naturalized American, was born in England, but uh, eventually very proudly categorized himself as American first and, first and foremost, um, it paints you know this amazing picture of who Thomas Jefferson was, and uh, he really, really is. I mean, if I'm if I'm gonna go, you know, fanboy geek out about uh, you know my favorite founding fathers, he's easily 
him and Franklin are, are always, uh, you know, the tops tops for me. Dude, but come on, you got to pick one. One of your daddies is better Jefferson. than the other. I really? mean, Jefferson. I mean, like, yeah. Oh, no. Team BJ for the win. You- I'll tell you what. Uh, Jefferson was uh, – there There were elements of Jefferson that, that we kind of forget, including uh, – and, and this is very prescient in, in today's uh, culture, but he was the first president to uh, take no guff about um, people – screwing with us in libya uh the 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 song uh you know to from the sh- you know to the shores of tripoli is about thomas jefferson uh for the first time ever setting the precedent for the american military to take out pirates uh off the-, the the pirates are upset because the philadelphia Inquirer ran a cartoon that was very critical <laughs> <laughs> of their piracy <laughs> yes uh yeah, there was there was a flickering shadow puppet that they found very very objectionable. Um, so uh, it was Seema yeah. Ford. So they uh, so so he he dispatched uh, you know uh, the American military to make sure that trade routes were were secured and piracy was was smashed off the coast of Tripoli uh, and that was the first time that that had ever happened and and you know he was prescient in the idea of protecting Americans and and you know the American way of life uh, here and abroad. Plus, it, also, he rewrote the Bible. Rewrote the Bible, uh, invented the modern system of plowing. Um, uh, was, I would like to point out that Benjamin Franklin also invented many modern systems of plowing. No, he certainly did. That dude, I'll tell you what. The old trowel, uh, they, they call him, Benny Franklin. Uh, and, and also, uh, him and Benjamin Franklin found a, a common cause in uh, the pride of American wine. American wine was looked at as, you know, uh, stupid, cheap swill. Uh, but uh, Thomas Jefferson was very much on, on the team of not being afraid of saying that we can produce wine at, at as good a vintage as anywhere else in the world. So pick it up. Thomas Jefferson, uh, author of America by Christopher Hitchens, which if I need to tell you who Christopher Hitchens is, then just just look him up because this is already too long. And Christopher Hitchens is in his own right one of my heroes. So go ahead and check that out. Right on. Bonnie, do you have a pick? Well, I wanted to mention the app. Wait, you found an app? Yeah, I like this app. Hold on, hand it over here. What is this? Yeah. Bonnie's, Bonnie's pick is uh, Petson's Inventions. Hold on, let me get that on the screen here. Explain to us why we should like this. Well, it is a fun little game where you put little cogs and and um, parts together to create silly inventions to make silly things happen. So it's like, like a Rube Goldberg kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's they... P-E-T-T-S-O-N-S, and we're looking at what looks like a drawing board, and you can drag over to it different things there's a hamster on a wheel there's a cat there's a cheese so yeah very much looks like you kind of create a rube goldberg-esque kind of thing to do something that looks wonderful yeah yeah then you flip the switch yeah it's a ipad app um it's a lot of it's just kind of satisfying you you click and drag it's it's uh the sounds and the aesthetic are fun and it was just a really satisfying game to play with my kids so i really enjoyed uh, doing that even the you know i don't know how exactly hard the puzzles were because the five-year-old did most of them but they were a lot of fun so. well don't tell her that <laughs> it really wasn't that hard because you were able to solve this <laughs> no i you know not unless she's listening at the door but uh yeah but we uh, we had a good time as a family putting these together and 
Yeah, I mean, even like the like when you the log on screen, like when you pull up the app to pick your next puzzle to do, it has this little all the cogs dance around like as you move the iPad front and back. But you can't do it right now. I was just thinking about how. Uh, in fact, when I saw Penny playing with it, the first thing I told Bonnie was like, "God damn, our kids are going to be so much smarter than we are. Like they get so, so. much more interesting, stimulating ways to." force them to continue they like they are being trained to discover the joy of problem solving at such a younger age and so, with such persistent rewards to where uh i mean they're they're just gonna they're just gonna want to solve problems forever yeah here's here's us at that age with our problem solving we're sitting in front of our atari 2600 go, go left get away from the ghost all yes, right go go up yes, get the power pill exactly. get the power pill <laughs> exactly uh yeah i'll tell you what i've had my ipad for less than a month and i am so incredible and like but the last guy to the teaming party you know i'm just like hey you know what's really a paradigm changing thing ipad games <laughs> you know? uh, but i it, it really is continually amazing whenever i look at it or hear from friends just another brilliant awesome either little small game or something like i've been obsessed with grand theft auto 3 you know, the full Grand Theft Auto 3 game, uh, you know, for the iPad, which I bought because I had to write a review for Game On without having played it to show you what a fraud I am. Um, but uh, but now I'm, I'm obsessed with it. And it, it's the full thing, the full entire game, all the music, all the all the physics. It runs faster than I think it did on on the PlayStation when it originally came out. It, it, it really is just. Uh, amazing uh and then i don't know so yeah there we go groundbreaking you heard it here first uh the ipad's great for gaming yeah y'all don't want to read hear about the books i'm reading i hear the diamond club is good though oh by the way can i can i real quick uh, a little side side quest into diamond club territory uh bonnie walked in and caught penelope saying what's this flipping through the diamond club and bonnie was just like ah and she goes something about beekeepers. And, you know. Oh no! Oh no, my no, word! I'm just kidding. I was just like, not for your eyes, sweetheart. So, uh, so ye- yesterday, uh, wow, was it yesterday? Yeah, it was just yesterday morning. I was at the airport in Manchester, and I tweeted out. Uh, I say, I feel like I've read all the books, and um, uh, I, I want to know what I should listen to that I haven't listened to. I got three credits on Audible. Got a bunch of fantastic recommendations. I added a bunch of them to my uh, to to my wish list. I was thrilled with how many of them I had read. A bunch of great recommendations. I, do, do you get a little bit of pride out of that, Andrew, when somebody suggests a book and you're like, "Oh, welcome to my me ten years ago." Yeah, Amazon. Like when Amazon would do the recommendation system. I'd be like, Reddit, Reddit, Reddit. Exactly, right? And so, uh, uh, but I ended up picking up three books, and I finished one of them in just one day. I read uh, John Scalzi's Red Shirts. Have either of you guys read this? I haven't read it. I know the premise, but I haven't read it. See, I I don't even want to say what the premise is, and I'm bummed even that the title gives a hint as to what the premise is. And and it's like, um, um, I will say that there was this brief area in the middle where I thought it was going to go one direction, but instead I was really delighted. It went a different way. And even after stuff wrapped up, there was more story to tell. And uh, it, it was a great, it was a great, it's only seven hours long. I listened to the entire thing in just one day. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. 
And then the other book that I got was uh, Abundance, and I forget the subtitle, like The Future's Not As Bad As You Think or something like that. And uh, uh, they name-check uh, Matt Ridley, friend of the show, and uh, uh, with, the, with the, the stuff he says in The Rational Optimist. And whereas The Rational Optimist was more about the numbers that seem to indicate that stuff is getting better all the time, uh, Abundance has kind of different sections. And the first section is talking about why our brains are stupid and broken. It explains how, uh, for example, I talked about we think of things linear progression, not geometric or, or exponential progression. Uh, it talks about how the amygdala has been trained for, for you know millions or hundreds of thousands of years to create this fight or flight, to be more trained to assume that the worst is going to happen, and how now it's actually a problem because it causes us to make really stupid policy decisions because we're convinced things are going to get worse when by all measures by all accounts things are getting better uh and uh, and then it moves into talking about some of the awesome stuff coming up well it talks about ray kurzweil and singularity university uh really really enjoying that as well uh i have the hardcover i've not started yet i'm excited to get into it um as brian pointed out written by uh forget the co-writer but peter diamandis who's the guy behind the x prize that's right and the new uh, Planetary Resources, which is the company that's looking into mining asteroids. So he's a very forward-thinking guy. He's actually a medical doctor by training. And one of these people thought, how do we bring the future here faster and came up with the brilliant idea of the X Prize. And and now this is sort of a book kind of trying to make him for the point. And the, my favorite debate was uh, basically uh, between – it was a friendly debate between them and Matt Ridley. And they were accusing Matt Ridley of not being optimistic enough. <laughs> <laughs> and and that is the 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 other and I would I would ha, having read the book but being very familiar with the uh, man I would say that for a lot of people out there because after we do these podcasts we talk about well you don't need to worry about scarcity and other things we get these emails from people who are like well what about what about and it's like read you know rational optimist read abundance and then come back because there there is a, a there certainly these things are not above criticism but. Once you read those arguments, you know, rather than Brian or I trying to regurgitate and trying to regurgitate what other people said much more eloquently than we can, it's it's better off if you I'll, go to the I'll source. tell you what, man. At some point, you just get frustrated. And, and the, I like the tone of the rational optimist a little bit better because rational optimist kind of takes this aw shucks idea where it's like, yeah, look, we're going to slip back. There's going to be problems. Yeah, nobody gets it except for you and me. But don't worry about it, man. A thousand years from now, everything's going to be great. Whereas abundance uh, kind of takes this more clinical assessment of just how broken and stupid our brains are and all the problems that are happening because we can't accept that abundance. It makes such a crushing argument for the fact that we are going to be swimming in abundance of everything in another 100 years well, that it has me weirdly mad. Remember I made a joke before the show started like, oh, yeah, back when poor people used to be skinny. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Or didn't yeah, have cable. Yeah. And that's sort of the flip side that we're at now. You look at, you know, in and you can talk about malnutritionic stuff, but cho- choices and all that. When you live in a society that's getting it has an abundant society, the problems you have are more towards choices. I'll tell scarcity. you. I'll tell you what's way exciting. I'm on the section right now of abundance where he talks about uh, 3D printing and about how uh, how the most precious idea, the most precious resource, is increasingly becoming uh, ideas. You know, now nowadays uh, when Theoretically, in 15 years, everyone here, everybody watching at home will have a 3D printer at home and we'll be able to create uh, you know, anything from scratch to where you buy something on Amazon and it's printed out right there in front of you. Uh, I mean that's nothing in the great scheme of things. And then all of a sudden – all of a sudden when – 
it comes to problem solving, all of a sudden some kid in the middle of a third world country, as long as he has a connection to the Internet, can have the idea at the right time and the ability to put it out to the universe and change everything, you know, and the whole world can replicate it instantly. And that's so, a beautiful, it's, it's, you know, that's a beautiful, a beautiful thought. And it's, it's, to me, it's the reason why, you know, when we talk about why, uh, you know, having that kind of expansion of uh, technology and, and a culture that fosters ideas being a good thing and, and uh, you know, creativity, I think that it, it's, it's as important as, you know, no less than the continued thriving of the human race and, and let me know? just before we wrap up this discussion let me just say there's someone out there who's got a malthusian idea that we're running out of resources just read the books that's all in i think uh, speaking for the three of us just read either of these books to get a perspective of where we're coming from because one of the things that blew my mind from the rational optimist was that matt ridley points out that humanity has never uh, or has never on a large – I don't know if he, how he qualifies it, but he basically says we've never run out of a non-renewable resource. The only resource we've run out of are renewable resources cool. that were over-farmed through the tragedy of the common, uh, You know, whether it's wood or, or sheep or, or grass or whatever. But when it comes to the non-renewable ones, we always get to that point where all of a sudden it's not very profitable to continue to grab it and something cheaper comes along instead. All right. I'm going to do my pick. Uh, wait, can, can I can I do uh, just re- real quick uh, mini things just to update people uh, that I talked about before? Hundred bullets. I finished it. Really, really like it. Highly recommend it. Uh, I, I my only commentary is that unfortunately I think it's one of those series that ultimately is far far better at asking questions than giving answers. I want to update because I don't know whether or not he is going to do it. That uh, the uh, continued rampant uh, success of Angel Killer. Uh, in the uh, Amazon uh, oh, UK no, you, store, you bust out those numbers. This is unreal. You, th- you tell them the numbers. Uh, last week we were number ten in the UK. We actually sold more than uh, Hunger Games and Fifty Shades of Grey. And in the United States, right now, I checked it like an hour before we went live. You're still number three hundred and eighty something in the entire Amazon bookstore here in the United States. Wow, that's amazing. I was yeah, two ninety uh, last week. Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> Well, listen, and now you guys can all, uh, if you haven't got it, please got it. Find out what the world is talking about uh, and and download uh, uh, Angel Killer. It is is so, so, so exciting for me to watch uh, a book that, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've I've read, you know, when it it first, you know, came out to to continue to to succeed and and Andrew didn't have that success. So everybody go, go check that out. Thank you very much. Uh, we're running short here. I'll do two condensed picks. Um, uh, first one is on Amazon Instant. If you have Amazon Prime, you can get you can watch free movies. They've got Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. Uh, those movies hold up very, very, particularly the first one, Adam's Family. Raul Julia and Angelica Houston, uh, great, great, fun, fun movies. Really enjoyed those. They're very good. Netflix Instant Streaming Pick, and I and I this is with a big caveat. Uh, I think it's an example of where big genre concept shows go totally awry, and you will see all the elements of the pilot. And so there's only one season to watch. They're not going to make any more. It's probably one of the most expensive television shows ever launched. And Justin got all of my frustrated texts. Television's hard, and you don't know where a show goes wrong. You don't know if it's happened in the writer's room. 
at the producer's level, at the network level. And, and it's, and you never, it's always, you always want to be careful before you start assigning blame on something. Cause you don't know if the show, but sometimes you see showrunners and you go, man, those people, they really ruined another franchise. So maybe it's their fault, but, uh, a show that had kind of a cool concept, but then Terra Nova. Okay. So Terra Nova, the entire season and entire series is available now on Netflix. And I, we just had this discussion about abundance and stuff. And you get into a show that's got this, we've used up the earth and now we're going to go to this whole new paradise filled with dinosaurs and this parallel time stream. Okay. You're kind of like, all right, I'm okay. I'm kind of okay with that. But part of the premise of the show is that these lucky few who won the lottery and some of them cheated and gamed the lottery get to go there. And then they decide that to prevent the world, which is suffering and billions of people are dying from lack of things to prevent them from ruining this world. We're going to shut them off. Well, it's yeah. And you're like, wait a second. We're, we're probably not the right, uh, the right audience for that kind of thinking. <laughs> you know, we, who just got done advocating for abundance and the rational optimist, probably not understanding the whole. But we are also uh, a show that talks a lot about time travel and dinosaurs. Which well, is- what I'm going to say is that the, <laughs> the abundance thing is the idea that, Hey, we just made it to paradise. Nobody else come here. Right. Right. You know, we're shutting you down, Earth. Sorry. Right. You guys, we you guys would rather be outmanned and under technologied alone in this world and leave you and dirty old well, planet Earth. Come here, but it was just like, you know, it was like the, the you talk about the bunch of one percenters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so it's like there is no nod to the idea that here they are living in this paradise compared to Earth. And then they decide we're going to cut ourselves off from Earth. You know, even though there are hundreds of millions, billions of children starving who could use, you know, whatever resources are there. They're like, no, nope, yes. screw you. We're here now. It's like uh, the well, most anti-immigrant, isolationist, <laughs> fascist sort of, you know, idea. And it's like nobody there questions this. Nobody looks around and goes, oh, wait, we're the bad guys. Amazing. Uh, let, let me just say one thing. Me and Andrew talk a lot. And we talk a lot about current events. Uh I was was in the middle of the thing for the Go game, and all of a sudden I saw on my phone just a list. And this is a day when a lot of things were happening in the world. It was a very, very uh, busy, complicated day in world affairs. And all I saw on my phone was eight or nine graphic adjectives describing <laughs> something horrifying. And I'm like, I'm like, I had heard about other stuff that had happened in the world, and I'm like. I'm like, oh, man, Andrew's talking about that. And then I scrolled up to what the first thing that he had talked about. And it was not, in fact, world events, but rather the pilot for Terranova. Amazing. I want these things to succeed. And there's another show launching right now that I, I can't even can't even get into. You're talking yeah. about oh, Revolution? Uh, Clips? Yeah. Revolution? Did I'm you not naming names. Revolution. It's the co- <laughs> yeah because I warned you. It's the it's that cozy apocalypse, right? Everything's too clean. And I, I'm gonna wait. It's one thing like I'll wait, and it's like all right. So like there's no electricity. All right, so we're all using steam power now. Uh, what's this steam power? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just that's and I, I I hope it's great. If if it's great, I'll catch up in a couple seasons. It's, you know, it's, it's got great too. names. You know, it's like that first episode was directed by uh, what's the name who did Iron Man, uh, John Favreau, and uh, you know, of course, created by J.J. Abrams. And stuff. I want it to be good. It's a subject well, that I like. But I didn't really create it. They got a yeah, yeah. guy who did Supernatural. Whatever's the creator. I mean, I want it to be good, but I want it to be good too. Way too clean. All right, I'll. I'll... I'll, I'll go farther than the two of you. It stinks on ice, and it will stink <laughs> on ice. All right. I, we could have good genre television, I think. And the problem is, is we don't know between the producers and the networks what happens. 
I'll you tell know, you, man, yeah. that's why uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when uh, you just can't take risks when there's that many millions of dollars on there. You got to bland everything down to appeal to the greatest number of people. Whereas uh, you think back to, you know, the greatest time in film for science fiction was the 1970s. And that was a time when you had people who were given money and a platform and just told to go you got some weird crazy crap too you got you know disney's the black hole but you also got planet of the apes you know so it's like uh uh to be honest i think that that sometime in the next i i i think it's all gonna be on youtube looper is getting a massive press push and if you if you watch like the, the 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 tv trailers for looper it's just like okay um, we know that nobody watching this is going to understand this premise, but please come see the movie. It's really good. Yeah. Like, you know, listen, we live in, we live in that universe in the universe where we're big sci-fi. If, if, if Looper is being pushed as a mainstream movie that the average Joe is expected to come see if inception is, you know, did the kind of box office that it did. Uh, you know, we live in a beautiful era for sci-fi films and, and genre films. And, I, and I, would, that, I would say with television is that there is this, and I think you're, you're absolutely right that there's a lot of this risk aversion, but I would say that cable networks, you know, they can have more patience about stuff. Uh, and they, they, but they, it certainly seems like, uh, you know, when I see something's on broadcast television, I'm not as excited if I hear that, you know, when HBO picked up Game of Thrones, we got excited. Yeah. Because because we knew that they they had a track record of committing to to a very specific story, whether it was pop going to be popular, whether it seemed like it would be popular to the masses or not. Boobs and plus boobs. Yes, also boobs. Yes, <laughs> I mean look so at look it, at the wire, man. But you know, well, it well, the wire the like, wire was also an under uh, yeah an underwhelming success even for HBO while it was airing. You know, I know, you know, but they kept doing it for five whole seasons. That's that's the yeah. whole point is that they were committed. They were driven not by the numbers, not by by well, appealing to the masses, but by they also. I mean, part of what HBO's calculus is is press and awards because like part of HBO's business model is continuing to make a loud noise to potential subscribers that are not currently subscribed to HBO that they should become. Subscribers, so like they have like a dollar amount on every five star New York Times review because that will generate X amount of money in a way that you know maybe if those people actually watch the episodes, you know they don't care as as much. It's not a, a direct kind of thing. Obviously, they pay attention to how many how many people watch and everything, but The Wire consistently underwhelmed in that category. I think two things that come into play too is that sometimes you hear somebody who's a film director comes in to produce television and there's this excitement, oh, they're going to bring in this film level thing to it, something from film, but often they don't really grasp the medium of television and story arcs and the idea of, of sustained stuff and episodic stuff. And sometimes that's why if you look at the history of the that, it's not as promising as, as you'd kind of think. And the other end of it too is that sometimes people who get to make this stuff, they're showrunners from shows that ran really well, but there were shows that maybe – Maybe had a small fan base, not a large fan base, but they somehow figure, well, this they atta- they get their names attached to successes that were not theirs. Yeah. yeah. That being said, the guy who did the Sarah Connor Chronicles, uh, Josh Friedman, who I thought was a really good showrunner, he's got another sci-fi project coming it, out. It was a good show, and I, yeah. I, I kind of hated – you could tell near the end they made these wild adjustments to, to sort of you know try to capture a fan base. But I thought that show was great since episode one. Mm-hmm. Way better than I thought it was going to be. He absolutely did a really good job of that. And so yeah. he's got another, like, robot project coming out. Made me uh, – I, mean, I saw uh, Salvation, Terminator Salvation, with Andrew. And as much of a, a, a failure as that movie was and as angry it was that, you know, it, it kind of dealt a death blow to more 
Terminator movies coming out because it, it stunk so bad. Uh, I think the thing that we were both the most upset about was that the rumor was because uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles was on the bubble at the time. And if all of a sudden Salvation was a huge hit and America loved Terminators, uh, that, that that would be the kind of impetus to, to give Sarah Connor Chronicles, you know, another another season or at least another partial season. And uh, that obviously was just dealt a death blow. And as we sure. walked out of the Mumico Theater, <laughs> the Cinemark Theater is just like, oh, that's it. Connor Chronicles is dead, and, it's, and you killed it, McG. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been weird. You want to sponsor the podcast? Do you have $30? If so, go to weirdthings.com slash sponsor, and you can have Justin say whatever you want. He's a trained ape.